Well, I walked on up. I hope this is the right time to preach, is it? Yeah. <laughs> I'm ready to go. I hope you are too. Hey, it's good to be here back at uh, Summit Bible Church. Just a joy. Uh, last time I preached uh, with you, you were still at uh, Foothill and uh, you were enjoying the facilities over there. But boy, this is sweet, isn't it? To be right here. This is so good to have your own place and to have a little bit of your own identity. So super excited for you guys. Uh, listen, uh, our teaching pastor at Faith Bible Church, he's preaching this morning at Compass Bible Church. Your pastor, Morgan, is preaching at my church, Faith Bible Church, and I'm preaching here. So we're doing a little switcheroo this morning and a lot of fun. But uh, boy, isn't it neat to have churches that we can partner with and appreciate and enjoy ministry together? Just a real encouragement. So I'm glad to be here. It's super fun to be back. Uh, listen, I got to say, Morgan is just a special dude, a special pastor, a wonderful preacher. Uh, I, I met him, boy, eight years ago when my wife and I moved back to the States from New Zealand. I, I, we'd been here a couple other times already. Uh, but we come, came back from ministry at Faith Bible Church and met Morgan. He was a young, a young kid. <laughs> at the time, and, uh, and he's, he's grown and his giftedness in preaching. I, I just think Morgan is one of the up-and-coming stars in expository preaching, and I so appreciate his ministry. He's so faithful, just a, a, a great young man who loves the church, loves the Word, loves God, and uh, wants to serve faithfully in the church, and so I'm su super thankful for him. And he's right now preaching at Faith Bible Church, hopefully doing a good job. And my wife is there enjoying his ministry because she heard this sermon before. So, uh, <laughs> so she's decided to stay there, and, uh, and I'm glad that she did. Hey, listen, I want to do something uh, this morning that's a little different. I, I know that the, the normal practice that you have is to select a, a passage of Scripture and to work your way through it. I, I believe in that. I think that's the right way to preach expository preaching verse by verse through the scriptures and i believe you're in is it ephesians right now it sounds about right chapter six and uh, that's exciting every now and then it is it's okay isn't it to take a little break from something like that and to address a topic that i think i hope this morning will be helpful to you i want to this morning do something that i hope will be like a, a booster shot in your arms, something to encourage you and something to stimulate you. And so instead of taking that one Bible passage, I, I want to talk to this, the topic of spiritual health. And this would be what you might call an area of practical theology. Is that okay? Practical theology, something that's really helpful, I hope, to you. And I want to talk this morning about the subject of community sermon listening. Now, maybe you've never heard of that title before. I get it. It's okay. Uh, I, I know that there are many books out there written on the subject of how to listen to a sermon. In fact, we have a friend, uh, Ken Ramey, who wrote a book some years ago called Ex uh, Expository Listening. Super helpful book on how to listen to a sermon. And, uh, and I, I want to recommend those to you. But th this morning, I'm not really asking the question, how do you listen to a sermon? I am asking the question, how do we listen to a sermon in community with other Christians? Does that make sense? How do we do it with knowing that other Christians are sitting right here beside us? And should that have an impact on our listening? I'm asking the question, how do we appreciate the preaching event together? And how do we anticipate the preaching event together? And how do we attend the preaching event together? And, and how do we apply the preaching event, what? Together. together. That's the key. And the reason why I think that this subject is so important is because we live in an uh, autonomous, individualistic society. And I think that that society, that culture, has had a big impact on the way we listen to sermons. I think that we've become so autonomous in the church that we don't even realize how autonomous we've become. And as a result, we don't listen to sermons the way that people used to listen to them 20, 50, 100 years ago. 
Just don't. And recently, uh, probably a couple of years ago, I got my first pair of glasses. So I, I turned 52 years ago. I'm 52 now. 50 years old, first pair of glasses. Held out for a long time. But I needed them. And it reminded me of when my father, when my father's 82, he got his first pair of glasses way back when he was maybe around age 40. And I remember him, and we, we told him, Dad, you've got to go get your eyes tested. His driving had become really bad. You know, he was like all over the place. And uh, my sister and my mother and I were like, Dad, go get your eyes checked. So he went in for the eye test, and his eyes were so bad that they didn't, you know, normally they, they, they dial up the prescription and you wait a while for the glasses to be produced, right? He couldn't, the, the doctor said, no, you, you can't wait. You, you need to get some glasses today. <laughs> so he walked out of the doctor's office with a pair of temporary glasses until his ones arrived. He came out, we walked, we walked outside, and he's like, huh, there's houses on those hills over there. <laughs> and wait, there's birds on the power lines. You know, he, he started to see things that he had been missing all these years. And the reason why it was such a shock to him is because he hadn't realized how, how badly his eyes had depleted in their ability to see because the change happened over time. Now, this is what's happened in the church. We've become so autonomous and so individualistic over time that we haven't really seen the changes that have come about in the church. And as a result, we don't listen to the sermon, to sermons the same as we used to, but we don't even realize that we don't listen to them the way we used to. Since the changes happen so imperceivably, we, I don't think that we've correctly measured the effects that this has had on the church. We certainly haven't identified its dangers. So I want to I start with this. I've got a long introduction for you, okay? So... I'm not doing exposition verse by verse, so you'll forgive me, okay? Please forgive me. Something a little different, okay? So what I want to do first is give you some examples of what I call autonomous sermon listening trends. So number one, I want to talk about the virtual church and Christian avatars. I hope you've got some notes. If you don't have notes, put your hand up and someone will bring them to you. I, I hope that you all have those. A lot of uh, gaps, blanks to fill out here for you. But listen, number one, in recent years, techno wizards have created ways for us to go to church without actually going to church. <laughs> uh, and you, listen, I want to give a little caveat. Listen, we've been through COVID, and maybe there will even be more times when, if COVID gets worse again, who knows what's coming, but... There have been times when we've watched church at home. I get it, okay? We did this at Faith Bible Church as well. So, but those are unique times. I'm talking about the regular person who never goes to church, and instead what they do is they get on their computer and they attend a virtual church. And, and of course, we know this. You can attend church this way in your pajamas, right? I mean, you don't get dressed up. You don't have to do any preparation. And what happens is you go on there and you can create for yourself an avatar. You know, you know what an avatar is? Like a 3D representation of yourself. And you can design it the way you want it to look. And then your avatar attends church for you. Your avatar sits in the pew and uh, sings the songs for you. Your avatar can take communion. Your avatar can get baptized, it, becomes, it can become a church member, and when the service is over, your avatar can talk with other, pe other avatars who represent people who are at home in their pajamas too. So th this, many would say, is the ultimate in listening to sermons alone. And, of course, when there's something you don't like, what do you do? You... Click a button and you make your avatar go to another church, you know. <laughs> a church more of your liking, you can quit that church, quit the sermon, go look for another one. If the entire experience doesn't meet your expectations, you simply log off and return to the real world and your pajamas, you know. So that's one option. Number two, 
Another option here is to take advantage of streaming church services online. And again, this is probably more what we've done over COVID times, at least for uh, short seasons. And these are uh, often available to us 24-7. We can do it. You don't need to wait till Sunday to attend. And just like ordering items on a menu, <laughs> you click on and you get the, the menu items on the screen and you select the, the church service style you like, the songs that you like, the message that seems the most appealing. You format the service in any order that you want. There's one website, by the way, and they, they boast over 365 billion different possible worship service combinations. I mean, you're in control. You can get whatever you want in the church service. If you don't like it, you simply drag and drop and change it so it's more to your liking. This is made-to-order church service, and it's, it's ideal for anyone who just wants to sit at home and uh, experience church from a distance. Now, before all of this came about, there was religious television. Remember that? Uh, it's been around for years, and you've all seen it. You select your favorite preacher, favorite music, sit back in the comfort of your lazy boy rocker and, uh, and, and enjoy the presentation. But of course, understand that's all it is, is just a presentation. Because you're not involved. You, you don't take part in the service. You, it's like you're acting as a, a distant observer to something that's happening somewhere else. You've got the ability to approve or disapprove of the show. You're in charge of that remote control. I mean, you hit that button whenever you like. It's like, it's like you're a consumer in, in the market-driven world of commercial television. Typically, of course, you do that by yourself. No one else is around. No one's checking out to see what you're watching, what you're listening to. No one else has any input into your religious television choices. There's no accountability. Another way to avoid accountability and connection and fellowship in the church, I guess, would be to attend a mega church. I go to a mega church, you know, people sit in a congregation. Mega churches are, are typically thought to be uh, congregations with 2,000 people or more. Okay? It's a really large church. Uh, you can sit there and be completely anonymous. No one really knows who you are. Uh, no one really misses you. If, I mean, if you don't turn up one Sunday, no one misses you because they don't know who you are anyway. Um, and people that attend these churches and want to remain anonymous, they can do it. They sneak in, sneak out, and they decide for themselves whether that church is going to meet their expectations or not. Now, of course, there are ways, and I, listen, I'm not against large churches. You can have a large church, no problem. The problem I have is when people attend a large church for the express purpose of remaining anonymous, right? So the large churches have a hard job to do. There's shepherds and pastors. They're, they're trying to get people plugged in and coming to, uh, what did you, not community group. What is, what is yours called? Growth group? Yeah, calling people to plug in and get involved and be serving and so forth. But listen, you can go to a mega church and really be listening to the sermon all alone if no one knows who you are. You're still alone. Another way to, to do this would be the, the multi-site church phenomenon. This has happened as technology has increased over the years. This is where a local church outgrows its building. Sometimes this is a very, very real problem. It's so large, you can't get everyone in the building anymore, so you pump the video out to an adjacent building, maybe on the same property, maybe down the street in another city, another state, another country sometimes. It happens, and, uh, and, and people gather and watch, and they listen to their favorite preacher. Now, they're in a crowd, but the show that they're watching is on a screen. And... Uh, and again, it's not necessarily all bad, and I understand, you know, that churches outgrow their facilities and they need to figure out how they're going to deal with that. I, I get all of that. But the problem is this. It's still possible in that setting to attend a church, a multi-site multi -site church, and not be known by anyone. Agreed? Just trying to give you some examples, okay? 
Uh, we need to acknowledge that there's a big downside to this. Someone who's not engaged and is unknown and sneaks in and sneaks out is not a part of any fellowship, no community, no mutual accountability, and, and that's a disaster. That's not how God is designed for us to listen to sermons or attend church. Now, there's another phenomenon that's happened over recent years. We'll call this the international pastor, okay? International pastors. All of this technological advancement has produced a new phenomenon in Christendom. It's the international pastor. This is the man who, he's your favorite preacher. You all have a favorite preacher, right? Well, this is your dude. This is your man. He's, he's the rock star preacher in your mind. Your favorite guy. And, uh, and by the way, it doesn't necessarily mean that he's a bad preacher. Could be a fantastically faithful, biblical preacher. That's good, right? No problem with that. But, but there is one downside, and that is he doesn't know you, and you don't even know him. <laughs> That's not healthy, Right? It's a guy that lives in another city. You've never met him and, uh, and probably never will. And one thing we have to acknowledge in that kind of setting, listen, these international pastors, there's a downside because in that relationship there's no community, there's no body life engagement between that international rock star preacher and you in your setting. There's no shepherding happening in that relationship, no discipling, no counselling, there's no personal connection. Agreed? Well, that's not the way that the church is meant to be. And once again, I think just if we're not careful, we can fall prey to the problem of being anonymous and autonomous in our sermon listening. Now, another way, of course, is the vast uh, ability to access uh, internet sermon libraries. They're all over the place and Many of them are very good. Listen, at Faith Bible Church and maybe even here at Summit, the sermon, I see a camera right here. I, I don't know. So maybe the sermon's recorded and it's uploaded and put online. Is that a bad thing? No. That's a wonderful thing. It's a great thing. But if all someone does is view the recorded sermons on internet sermon libraries and that's all, their only exposure to the church, then that's not good. Um... There's one huge internet-based sermon library and uh, they did a survey just recently. They, they found out that they were getting 20 million sermon downloads every year. I mean, that's 50,000 sermons a day. And this is a faithful Bible teacher and I'm like, amen, praise God that 50,000 people are listening to that dude every day. I am excited about that. But if that's all they do, now, now we're talking about a downside. Yeah? I mean, we've got tapes. Uh, if you're old school, anyone you know, my age or older, we used to listen to sermons on cassette tapes. In fact, uh, my wife was cleaning out the cupboard the other day and she found my very first sermon. I was 16 years old and I preached my first sermon on a cassette tape and she's like, oh, we should, we should get this converted to a digital audio file and listen to it. And I'm like, I don't think that's a good idea. Like, I, don't, I don't think it's going to be a good sermon, you know. <laughs> she wants to do it. But listen, there's CDs, DVDs, MP3s, iPods, iPhones. You, we've got access to all of this, the sermons that you could ever want. And it's a good thing. We, uh, we listen to sermons when we're driving, when we're working out, when we're doing chores. Great. I want to promote it. It's an excellent, excellent thing. But once again, if that's all you do, and in fact, I would say this, we've got so used to that that we've, we've learned a new way to listen to sermons. And that is to listen to them alone. I think that's dangerous. Now, you might look at all of this and you might say, well, listen, Nigel, you know, that's all interesting. But I don't sit anonymously in a mega church. Now, Summit's growing, but it's not a mega church. I mean, it's pretty hard to come here to Summit and be anonymous. Right? It is. I get it. 
And you might say, well, I don't sit secretly in the back row of a multi-site church. Great. And you might, you might say, Nigel, I don't exclusively follow that superstar preacher to the neglect of coming and submitting my, my ears to my local pastor, Morgan Maitland. I love coming to church. You might say all of that. And you might even say, listen, I don't replace my church involvement with digital sermons and CDs. But here's my question to you. Here it is. This is where I, the rubber hits the road. My question. Is it possible that even though you're here every week, and even though you turn up faithfully and you open your Bible and you listen to Pastor Morgan and others preach from this pulpit, and even though you sit in a church building and you listen to sermons along and you know that you've got friends and family right here sitting with you. And, and even though you have the appearance of listening to a sermon alongside of other Christians, is it possible, even though you're doing all of these things, that you are still listening alone? That's my question this morning. And it could be that we've been so affected by the individualism of our world that even when we come to church and we sit with people, we're still really alone. Our sermon interaction amounts to next to nothing, and so we might as well just be at home watching on the TV. And so I ask the question again, when, when you come to church, I mean, you're here today, okay? What's today? September 5th. You're here. Excellent. Good. I'm glad. But are you listening to this sermon right now, knowing that others are listening to the same sermon, knowing that the impact on your life needs to be consistent with the impact on others' lives and you're going to make this a community effort as you stand up and leave? That's the question. Because if the sermon does not become the basis and foundation of your discussion after the final amen is done, then you are listening alone. I mean, if you, you, walk, you stand up and you're talking about, I don't know, football, the weather, COVID, other things, uh, you've listened to the sermon alone. It's what you've done. And so that's my concern today. You know, I, 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 and I want to do two things for you. Well, this, this is all introduction. I'm done introducing, okay? I'm hoping to, to set the stage for you to see how important this is. And so for the rest of our time, I want to do two things. Num number one, I want to show you from the scriptures. I am going to open the Bible, okay? All right. <laughs> I, want to, I want to show you from the scriptures what the Bible says about community life in the church. And then secondly, I want to give you some practical pointers about how to put this into practice, okay? So number one, what does the Bible say about community life in the church? And and we're asking the question about community, fellowship. And I want to take you firstly to Hebrews chapter 10. So go there with me, would you? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. These are actually familiar verses. You've probably used these verses, especially verse 25. Um, you know, when, when someone hasn't been at church for a while... <laughs> And you've missed them, they, they haven't been attending. And you go visit them and you say, hey dude, you need to come back to church. And they say, why? You go to Hebrews 10, verse 25. That's where you go. Because it says there, you know, don't forsake our own assembling together. As is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. We know verse 25, we've used it sometimes. Don't forsake the gathering together of the saints. That's why you're here. It would, let's be honest. It would be easier to stay at home in your pajamas and watch online. It just would. Less effort, less risk, uh, just less work. You could do it that way. 
But you're here because Hebrews 10, 25 says, don't forsake our own assembling together. Some people are making that a habit. But the author of Hebrews says, don't make this a habit. You get to church. Now, why? We go back to verse 24. I actually think verse 24 is maybe even more important, to be honest, because just turning up at church is, is great, but that's not the whole thing. Because when you get there, look at verse 24. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. That is why we're here. Attendance is great, but that's not the whole deal. No, we need to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Why do we come to church? Because we have a responsibility. Listen, my job, whether I'm preaching or not, maybe I'm just sitting, listening to someone else preach, doesn't matter. I'm, I, and when I come to church, it's my job to stimulate others to put that sermon into practice. Love and good deeds. And it's their job to do the same to me. Don't give yourself like full credit, kudos, for just turning up. Ah, we're glad, you know. Glad to have bums on seats. Is that okay to say? <laughs> good, that's good. But that's not enough. We need to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. So how do we do that? Well, boy, we better take advantage of that sermon opportunity. John Piper says it this way. He says, sanctification is a community project. Do you believe that? I mean, there's a certain things I can do by myself to become more like Christ. I know that. In fact, I better do those things, otherwise I'll never become like Christ. I know that. But I need you in my life to point out the other things that for me are blind spots. I need you to stimulate me and sometimes to confront me. I need that, and so do you. We need people around us. Uh, sanctification, John Piper says, is a community project. I agree with that. So we need to encourage and stimulate one another. I mean, this is a major commitment, isn't it? Major commitment to one another as we grow into Christ-likeness. So if you're, as you're listening to a sermon in church, of course, you want to be asking, this is the faithful thing to do, I, I get this, be asking, okay, how can I apply this to my life? You better ask that question. But in addition, you also ask, how can we as a church be applying this to our lives? You have to answer that question. It's so important. You, th you think the church is just here for you? No. The church is here for us. We're all growing. So this is really important to be cons considering this. What about this? The, the one another's in the New Testament, okay? And I, I know that you know the one another's. You've probably seen lists of one another's. Let me give you a few of them here for you. According to Scripture, God wants us to, and they're on the screen here, he says, uh, God wants us to confess sins to one another, James 5, 16. Build up one another, Romans 14, 19. Bear one another's burdens. Pray for one another. Be kind to one another. Submit to one another. Show hospitality to one another. Serve one another. And it doesn't end there. Look at this. There's another list. Comfort one another. Restore one another, Galatians 6.1, forgive one another, love one another, admonish one another, teach one another, encourage one another, and again, Hebrews 10, stimulate one another to love and good deeds. This is a serious list, isn't it? Serious list of loving responsibilities and commitments. Listen, we cannot do this by clicking like on Facebook. You can't do that. We're talking about open, frank, loving relationships that require intimacy and honesty and transparency. Listen, if you don't have that with people here at Summit, then you're not really acting like a member of Summit. 
But these are the kinds of relationships that we're directed to have from the word of God. Now, this essential church activities that are given to us, in fact, in Acts chapter 2, go there with me, if you can, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Really, this is the, the beginning of the, the church, the early church, Jesus has died and uh, resurrected and has departed to, to, to go to heaven. And as the church is starting to grow, they, they really committed themselves to some essential things. And it says there in Acts 2 verse 42, it says thousands of people were being converted and they, verse 42, were continually devoting themselves to four things. To the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Those are, you might say, the four essential components of church life. And you cannot separate these out. It's not like, well, you, can, you can't say, well, I like that and not those three. I like these two, but not those two. You can't do that. They go together. Teaching, fellowship, communion, and prayer. And all of those must be undertaken in the context of community. In other words, you can't pursue them on their own. Teaching or preaching is a community event. Now, because of technology, it's turned out not to be in 2021, but it should be a community event. Fellowship is obviously the product of community. And communion is to be done in community. I don't know why it is that we've become so inclined to make these individualistic activities. People think they can stay at home and do communion. What? What? The communion was always meant to be done in a, with a group of Christians so that there'd be evaluation and if there were relationships that weren't right, they needed to be, sin would be confessed and there'd be a reconciliation so that you could then have communion with a clear conscience and without judgment from God. The community is the whole point of these activities. I, I think today's Christianity is just lending itself more and more to an individual experience, and I'm so sad about that. So sad. In fact, everything we do in the church is meant to be for the benefit, number one, God, and then secondly, for the benefit of others. It's just the way it's meant to be. Even our sermon listening is for the benefit of others, and that's what I want you to get into your heads. You're listening to this sermon and every other sermon for the benefit, not just of yourself, but of others. Now, this is true for the way we relate to our pastor as well, you understand that you have a responsibility to keep this pulpit sound, right? <laughs> you do. You say, no, that, that's the pastor's job. No, 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 no. It's the church's job to make sure that the pastor is preaching sound doctrine. You say, where do you find that? Well, look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. I'm going to call this community sermon testing, okay? Community sermon testing. 1 John 4, verse 1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. You know, you've got this Kiwi dude, comes from New Zealand, plonks himself right here in the pulpit. Don't believe him. Okay? Don't believe him, but test him, test the spirits, to see whether he's from God. That's the command. Well, why should we be so careful about the pulpit? Because look at this. It says there, verse 1, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Ah, you've got to be so careful how you, who you listen to. Amen? In other words, it's our responsibility then, it's the listener's responsibility to check to see what's coming out from this pulpit. We need to test that the teaching is biblical. Now, if you look at verse 1 again, you'll see there's two commands. Just real careful here. Two commands. John says, number one, don't believe every spirit. And then secondly, 
Test the spirits. But get this, and this is so important. I want you to see this. Neither of those instructions are given to an individual in the church. They're not. In fact, if you look at that, I don't know if you've got Logos or some Bible software program. You can check it out, but you, you put your cursor over the words, over those commands, and usually a definition will come out to the side. You can check it out yourself. And what you're going to see is that both of those commands are second person plural commands. In other words, these are commands that everyone is meant to do. Everyone. Not just an individual, but everyone in plurality. That means that the testing of this pulpit is not done by you, by yourself, as an island. Because you might say, boy, that Kiwi dude, he preached some heresy today. And then you've got a hundred other people saying, no, he didn't. You're like, okay, I must be wrong. Right? Sermon testing is to be done as a community, as a group. That's where the safeguards come in. No one of us that gets to do that on our own. And it's really interesting, actually, as you look at a lot of the, the commands in the New Testament, so often when you find the word you, this is my next point, by the way, so often in the New Testament, you, you read the word you, and again, if you have logos, you kind of hang on that word. And what you're going to find is that you, often we read it as being singular, just me, right? Just me, one person. But, but you hang your cursor over that word, and logos will tell you, more often than not, that these are plural pronouns. And so instead of saying you, you, you we ought to be saying you all, right? From down south or in New Zealand, we'd be saying yous, which just sounds terrible, doesn't it? But that's the way it goes there. It, it shouldn't be you, it should be yous or you all. But we're so quick, aren't we, to to assume that the truth of Scripture are just for me, when actual fact it's intended for groups. In fact, next, many of the commands are plural commands. Um, listen, I, I don't want to take away from the focus that you have. Listen, you, you, you see a command in Scripture and you say, okay, I need to apply this. That's good. You better do that. <laughs> Instead of saying, oh, that's for everyone else and not me, that, I mean, that would be terrible, right? So you say, no, this is for me, but it's not just for me, it's for all of us. So how am I going to stimulate and encourage others to put this into practice too? That is the expectation of Scripture. In fact, look at this. I'll give you a few examples. You, you know this command, Ephesians 4.26. Those of you who are married would have done this from time to time. Uh, Ephesians 4.26, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. That's the, that's the verse in marriage, right? You, you're, you're having a tiff. Little argument. You, you know what a tiff is, right? A time of intense fellowship. So, so you're having the tiff, right? And, and you remember the verse and you say, Oh dear, we, we just can't, we can't put our head on the pillow until we've worked this through. Good. But do you understand when Paul gave that command, he wasn't just giving it to individuals or even couples who are married. He was giving that command to the entire Ephesian church. It's a church that needs to apply it, not just individuals. Let me give you another example here. Ephesians 5.18, another uh, familiar verse. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. You know, to be filled with the Spirit, of course, there's a personal responsibility that we have, but Paul intended for the entire church to be filled. It's a plural command, not singular. He says, all of you Ephesians, and maybe this morning we'd say, all of us at Summit, together, should be filled with the Spirit. First uh, Thessalonians 5.16 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, not an individual command. It's for the entire church. And there's so many more of these. So anyway, I'm just giving you some examples here of what the Bible says about community. Because we have too quickly...
gone in the direction of making this all about me and my application and my life and my benefit and my blessing. And I'm just saying, listen, no, we need to be thinking about the entire church when it comes to sermon listening. Okay, I want to make it practical for you. How do we put this into practice? Give you some pointers here. These will go fast. I know you're looking at the notes, you're thinking, boy, how long is this dude going to go? These will go fast, okay? Seven ways to practice community sermon listening before the sermon. That is, before you even come here, before you even get here on a Sunday morning, what can you do to prepare to listen to a sermon in community with others? That's the question. Number one, confess sins to one another. Yep. Confess sins to one another. 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 and 2 it says they're uh, putting aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word. But you see, before you can long for the pure milk of the word, you have to put verse 1 into practice, which is put aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy and envy and slander. In fact, if you don't put those things aside, it is absolutely impossible to listen to a sermon with any kind of impact. So what does that mean? Maybe I've offended someone that week. Maybe I've sinned against someone that week. Boy, I better put that right before I come to church. We remind ourselves when it comes to communion to do this, don't we? But it's more than just communion. It's how can we pretend to be listening to the voice of God when we've got sin in our lives unconfessed? So we better go put those things right with people. Number two, gather to pray for the preacher. Yeah. Listen, preaching's hard work. Super hard. Preparation to preach is actually harder than the preaching itself. It's just hard discipline, sitting in the seat for hours upon hours and hours to get ready to have a word from God. You better pray for your preacher. But why do it alone? I mean, you could sit at home and do that, but why don't you give one, someone a call? Hey, on the phone, let's pray for Morgan right now. On the phone. You're in growth groups. Give some time to praying for the preacher. Do it together. Number three, gather to pray for the listeners. Yeah. Don't just pray for Morgan. Pray for the congregation. This is a significant event. I mean, you understand that when we get together like this and the Word of God is opened up, we're reading the words of God and we're saying, how can we apply this to our lives? This is a monumentous event in our week. And the only way it happens with any kind of power is when we've prayed that the Lord would do something with his word in our lives. Amen? And I'm sure that some of you pray for that to happen, but why not get together and pray together that that would happen? They they say of Spurgeon, you know, that someone asked Spurgeon what kept the church warm, and he took them down to the bottom room, and there was like a group of people praying, the furnace, praying for what was happening in the worship center where the sermon was going to be preached. Let's gather to pray for the listeners. Number four, gather to read the Bible passage in your growth groups. You you know what's coming next week, right? Morgan will be back. Ephesians chapter 6, about halfway through, somewhere in there. You know what's coming. So why don't you read the passage ahead of time? Get your heart ready. But you know what's encouraging is if you do that with someone else. Maybe two or three other people. You read the passage, you're like, oh, I wonder what that means. Oh, I don't know. I wonder what he's going to say. How, does, how do you think that's going to apply? I'm not sure. Let's pray about that and let's come next Sunday with some excitement. You pray for the event, but you read the passage. Do it with others. You know, l- listen, 
The Sunday morning sermon event and all of its surrounding activities, the worship and communion and giving and fellowship, all those things, this is the high point of our week. And I'm not just saying that because I'm the pastor, you know, or a pastor. I'm saying it for every Christian, this should be the high point. Like you, you, you ramp up to Sundays. You prepare, you get excited, you come on Sundays and then you have the afterglow and then you die off again, right? But then you start ramping up again for the next Sunday. This is the best moment right now of our week where we're hearing the voice of God. So you want to pray towards that and read ahead so that you can be prepared for all of that. Number five, discuss the, the passage, discuss the subject, ask questions of the text, talk about the upcoming sermon. I wonder if, if you even know what Ephesians 6 says. You should be familiar with it before you get here. Read it with others. Discuss it with others. Engage in sermon discussion. Uh, number six, post on social media. I mean, instead of posting your favorite football team and some other political stuff and birthdays and... Right, Serena and I, we, ju we just uh, celebrated 30 years of marriage this week, last week. Went to Disneyland. <laughs> Serena posted all kinds of pictures. They've got the fall decorations out. So it's pretty fun, you know? And I'm thinking, okay, why, do, I mean, I'm thinking of myself now, why do I post five Disneyland pictures in a week and not anything about church and the sermon that's coming and the passage we're going to be looking at? Where's my priorities? How come I'm more excited about Disneyland than that? Something's wrong. So you want to do it in a way that generates interest. You know, a way to encourage others to come along to Summit is to be posting online and you say, I'm so excited. We're looking at this subject on Sunday. I can't wait to get there. All your friends and family read that on Facebook, Instagram. And they're like, oh, I wonder if I should go too. Ah, you want to do this on social media. Number seven, utilize the church blog and website. This is more for your elders and leaders and pastors. But listen, there should be somewhere on the church website so that someone can log in and see what's coming on Sunday. This should be there. Okay, next section. Six ways to practice community sermon listening during, like right now, during the sermon. How can you do this? Number one, commit to regular attendance. Get in the flow of the sermon series. Now, I know that today is a one-off. It's a little different. But Morgan's preaching through Ephesians. He's in chapter 6. You've got to get in the flow. If you miss a week, you miss the flow. And it, and it's, it doesn't just affect you, but now you're kind of out of, out of kilter with the rest of the church. They were there. They heard it. They applied it to their lives, and you missed out on the whole thing. And now the church is advancing, and you didn't. Be there regularly. Because it's not just about you. Now, I know we get sick, and sometimes we're on a vacation. But, I, honestly, can I say, I, I do uh, membership interviews back at our church, and, we're like, and I sit down, I'm like, are you going to be at church every week? I have to ask the question, because there are some people who wake up on a Sunday morning, and they're like, ah, oh, should we go to church today or not? I'm not sure. Like, what? Well, I wake up, I mean, I'm sure you, you just go to church, right? It's the thing that we do. We're going. So you've got to be there. Commit to regular attendance. Uh, number two, arrive early. <laughs> arrive early. Some of you were late this morning. I noticed. Doesn't matter though. Listen, people that arrive late are thinking, oh, I got nothing else to do. I, I, I get there, I'm going to sit down, I'm gonna, I'll get most of the service. They're thinking selfishly. They're only thinking about themselves. Come early, you never know. You might sit down to ne next to someone who needs some encouragement, who needs some stimulation to love and good deeds. 
my father used to say, you know, 10 minutes early is on time. On time is late. That's what he used to say. Get there early. Every week. Number three, pray for those who are sitting next to you. You do that right now. Now, I'm not talking about the kind of prayer that says, oh, you know, when you're sitting next to your wife or your husband, you're nudging them, like, you should be doing this, you know. <laughs> not that kind of prayer. It's the prayer where you pray, you're like, I'm committed to applying this to my life, but Lord, please help that person to do that. Can you do that? Pray for them. They need, they need the Lord's help. Pray for them. Number four, model attentiveness to others. If you look like you're going to sleep, or if you're playing with your hair, or, I don't know, trimming your nails, or, that that doesn't help anyone else, right? Because you look like you're uninterested, why should anyone else be listening? So, model attentiveness, number five, participate in the offering. Yeah, you should give. You know how to keep this pulpit solid and sound in doctrine and preaching? You give to the church so that this dude who stands here every week can feed himself and his family, put a roof over their heads, and dedicate himself to ministry and preaching in this church. How do you keep this pulpit sound? You pay him through your offering and giving. Number six, Prepare for fellowship and discussion. Right now, listen, I, I know what you're thinking. Because in, in a few minutes, we're going to be done. I don't know what happens after this. Maybe some song. I, I, I have no clue. But when we're done, we're going to stand up. And then there's going to be some discussions, I hope, some talking between each of you. You need to prepare right now in your head what kind of discussions you're going to have with others. Because if you don't prepare, you know what's going to happen? You're going to talk about the weather. So prepare now. You know it's coming, so get ready. Okay, lastly, eight ways to practice community sermon listening after the sermon, when it's all said and done. Number one, hang around. Just hang around. Don't be out the door. We've, we've got some people back at Faith Bible Church and you watch them each Sunday and they're leaving before the service is even done. How selfish is that? Just selfish. So you hang around and you interact. Number two, engage in sermon discussion. Now, when I say this, I, I don't mean preacher criticism. I'm not saying this, this is your chance to critique the, sim, the, the preacher. No, no, no. It's the, your chance to talk about the content of the sermon and the passage. Now, we didn't look at an entire passage this morning. I know that, okay? I get it. But on a typical Sunday, talk about the passage. Talk about application with someone. Get ready right now. And by the way, the, the, the wrong way to do that is to walk up to someone and say, hey dude, how are you going to put that into practice? Well, that's a bit imposing, right? No, you go to them and you say, boy, I was challenged. That, that point in that verse, that really spoke to my heart. C- could you pray for me that I'd be faithful to put that into practice this week? How about you? How can I pray for you? See, that go- that's good, isn't it? It's a good way to have this discussion. Number three, pray with someone, of course. Pray with them. Number four, respond directly to the preacher. By the way, I've been saying that a lot. By the way, okay, when you respond to the preacher, don't pat them on the back and say, ah, good sermon, preacher. We don't care. We really don't. What, What brings joy to our hearts is not that we've preached a good sermon, but it's when we see people in the church putting God's word into practice. That brings joy. So you go respond to the preacher and you say, ah, oh, Pastor Morgan, so thankful 
for your faithfulness this week to preach this message. This is what I've taken away. This is what I'm going to apply to my life this week. That will make him overjoyed. Respond to the preacher. Number five, post on social media after the sermon's done. Number six, engage in hospitality. Oh yeah, you should have people over for lunch. Coffee this afternoon. Dinner throughout the week. Yeah, engage in hospitality. Don't be thinking Sunday's a one-time event. No, the, the church is 24-7 all week long. Number seven, corporate confession. Every now and then, it doesn't happen often, every now and then there's a message from God that has a universal impact upon an entire church. Maybe this happened to Israel, didn't it? To be a prophet, you would preach a message and the whole nation would repent and respond. That's what I'm talking about. Sometimes today it can be a church where this occurs. Maybe there's a systemic problem with, I don't know, gossip. And it's pervading the whole church. And then there's a message that comes and everyone's challenged and everyone, the entire church is like, we were committed to cut this sin out, rip it out of the church. That's what I'm talking about. Sometimes the entire church will respond in obedience, corporate confession, where everyone is on their knees before the Lord asking for his forgiveness. Number eight, attending sermon-based small groups. This is just me being, showing my personal preference, okay? I love it when small groups, midweek, growth uh, groups, whatever you call them, get together and talk about the sermon. And again, it's not preacher review, it's sermon content review. We, 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 our kinds of churches put a, a big emphasis on preaching. We expect the pastor to preach a good message. We're going to turn up for that message. And then we fail to maximize the impact of that message because we don't talk about it ever again. Well, how about talking about it in your growth group? Now, I know that growth groups, Bible studies during the week and personal discipleship meetings at Starbucks, those kinds of things, they happen. And often they're focused on certain things. And then, but what I get concerned about is that there's all this other activity and all these other subjects and then this, the Sunday sermon, which is the high point, gets lost in all the wash of other things that are happening. Focus there. God has given this church a word. Talk about it. Maximize that opportunity. Okay, that's it. Now you're faced with a decision, okay? <laughs> um, there's two ways you could listen to a sermon. You, you could do it alone, or you can do it in community. Either you compartmentalize your life, and you keep your sermon listening experience just to yourself, quite separate, or you commit to integrate fellowship and sermon listening and you make them one thing. Which is it going to be? I have to say, folks, this is a life-changing decision. I don't want to exaggerate or over, overstate. <laughs> this is not the most important sermon you've heard this year. I get it. But this is a key decision that you're making today. Because it changes everything. If you want to practice community sermon listening, you need to make a plan, you need to involve other people, because sermon listening is by nature communal, and we've got to recover that, we've got to get that back again. And maybe you need to convince some others to do the same, I, I know, we're talking about a church culture, aren't we? It's hard, hard to navigate, but we need to do it. Here's the thing. We're going to close the service soon and then comes the test. <laughs> what are you going to do? What are you going to talk about? I hope that the Lord has moved in your heart to put some of these things into practice. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for faithful preachers like Morgan Maitland.
and other men. We faithfully bring your word each and every Sunday. We come not to listen to them, but to listen to you in community with others. Help us do this in faithful ways. Help us not to be selfish. Help us to be attentive to all that you're trying to teach us as a church so that together we might respond in unison. We pray in your name. Amen.